Hey there, this is Sean Mallory. Welcome to my podcast, Where Did I Get Like This? Uh, where I talk to my guests about the places they lived as kids and how that affected their adult lives. This is my third episode of the podcast, and this one's a little bit different, so I wanted to give it some context here. Uh, it's come up in several of the conversations about me working in theater. For the last 20 years, I have worked in theatrical lighting in some capacity and have effectively retired as of March 2020. I shifted to podcasting, and here I am. This is my third episode, and today's guest happens to still work in the theater. He's a production manager in the Chicago area named Jonathan D. Alsop. If you've worked in theater either in Colorado or in the Chicago area, you've probably worked with this man. And we had a great conversation about working in theater and the life that he led as a kid that sort of prompted him into this career. But we had such a good conversation, I didn't feel I could do it in one episode, so I broke it into two. The first one, we really talked more about his childhood, and in the second one, we talk a lot about theater. And I realized that it may not be relative to everyone who chooses to listen to this podcast, but he makes some great observations about living a balanced life and finding happiness and joy in his work. So I just wanted to keep the conversation because I enjoyed it so much. So the uh, second episode will be considered episode 3.5 uh, this month. The other reason why I wanted to give a little bit more of an intro this time, long story short, some of the audio isn't super great from this remote recording, especially because Jonathan happens to sport a long sort of wiry beard. And we, when we did our recording, I didn't catch this, but the mic often got sort of caught in his beard and made a scratching noise on the mic like this. Sometimes you hear it, sometimes you don't. I just wanted to throw it out there and apologize for the audio quality at times. All right. I hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with Jonathan D. Alsop, a production manager near Chicago, an old soul, as you will hear, who has moved 20 times in his life. Enjoy. All right. Well, thank you so much for offering to take part in this. I, I will say I put this notice out on Facebook and you were promptly one of the first people to respond. <laughs> and when you did, I was very excited because I think uh, this is going to be a very fun conversation. But I, I really don't know you. We just kind of met. You are actually the first person I've reached out to in the entertainment industry. So if I could get you to give us a little introduction about you and maybe your background and as a caveat for you specifically, you know, what did your job look like a year ago and what does it look like now in 2021? Yeah. So my background is all in theater. I have a bachelor's degree and a master's in theater. Mm. So I started out as a uh, stage manager and then uh, did some other administrative roles in theater throughout my career, managing director, operations manager building coordinator for new theater buildings and just took a contract out in Illinois at the Paramount Theater. Loved it out there and got a ability to come back full time and to be a production manager there. Mm. I took that full time job opportunity that I was offered and have now been out here for I'll be starting my fifth year at Paramount as production manager this coming May. How it's looked in twenty and twenty twenty and twenty twenty one is a lot different. Uh, like many theaters, have had to stop production and furlough lots and lots of people. And it is this is my experience and my experience alone. But it is not easy doing the work of uh, revisiting schedule changes and trying to keep up with CDC updates and keeping up with regulations and guidelines. Mm -hmm. And I know because my wife, who is a freelance stage manager, is in this boat, it is also not easy being furloughed and not being able to do what you love and being able to make your living doing that for now 367 days and counting. And so I know it's not easy on either side of that equation. Can you tell us again what she uh, took on 
in this time when she couldn't stage manage? Yeah, I mean, and, and everybody has their own story of how they've been able to pivot in one way or another. But yeah. in, well, first of all, we started door dashing several nights and days a week. Um, and as a team? In, as a team, yeah. yeah I in, see that. In August. Mm -hmm. Because it's just kind of, it was something we were able to do together. And because I was working from home, but I was still working for three and a half, four days a week you know, we were still separate and, and we are blessed to have a large enough home where we can be in different floors. Mm -hmm. And so it was just nice to spend the evenings together doing DoorDash. So we did that for quite a while. And then she got this job with other theater uh, professionals who are out of work, who kind of fell into setting up these Montessori schools. Uh -huh. So we had initially, they were just in the Chicagoland area. It was just kind of during the day. And then in November, they were like, hey, do you want to go to St. Louis for a week and do one? And because I'm working remotely anyway, and I'm a very generous boss, I was allowed to kind of go along with and, you know, just kind of hole up in the hotel room. And we've been, I mean, like uber safe around, uh, you know, what the hotel rooms and the hotels themselves are doing. We DoorDash in or Uber Eats all of our all of our meals and we don't really go anywhere. I mean, it's not a sightseeing tour, but we have now traveled since November and in January, February and now. March, well over 7,000 miles going all the way from setting up schools in Florida and Maryland and other places in Texas. So it has been fun to be out of the house. Wow. Uh, like right now, I'm, uh, I'm near Houston. We have been, you know, doing a few things, but it's not been a pleasure trip. As you can imagine, a stage manager and a production manager sure. packing to be away from home for weeks at a time. Uh -huh. We have systems and checklists and things are organized by day and how our clothes work and which days we're going to do laundry is pre-planned. -pre <laughs> we get to take our dog along with us, which is wonderful. And she, you know, she has food and, you know, all of that stuff like like labeled in baggies per city. And it's pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> And you guys have been driving all that distance? We have. Oh, we wow. have. We, we are actually, and I, uh, this may come up more times than, than it doesn't, but we love train travel. Oh, okay. And I have loved train travel for a long time, loved Amtrak. So we usually travel by train. No and we could do like roomettes and be fairly safe. We feel like the protocols in that way is good. Coach does not feel quite safe to us right now. I know, you know risk tolerance level for various people mm -hmm. is different, but doesn't feel great to us. And plane travel is just out of the question. Plus, I can tag along for free, right? So the company is, you know, kind of paying for her travel. Well, if we're driving, it, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if there's one person in the car too. And we get to bring along our wonderful dog. So all of that just sort of was like, well, let's just drive. Very cool. Well, that, that kind of dovetails perfectly. I mean, you've lived this travel lifestyle. You've been uprooted mm -hmm. several times, it sounds like, recently. You know, the reason why I wanted to reach out and talk to people about this is because I grew up as an Air Force brat. Mm -hmm. And by my estimation, I moved about six times before I graduated high school, mm -hmm. another roughly nine times since then. And I'm in my early 40s. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, you went to Chicago or the Chicago area as I was leaving there to come to Denver. We made a past on the way. And I, th <laughs> I think it really I was around the same time. But your your initial response to me was kind of an astounding number of moves. So uh, give us a, a sense of what your childhood looked like. And yeah. yeah, well, I mean, overall, I have lived in 11 different cities and four of those different. Well, and cities is a strong word, right? Like I've lived in 11 different municipalities. Oh, right. Um, four <laughs> of those were before college. Mm -hmm. One of those was before I started school. Okay. So I did three different towns while I was in elementary, junior high, and high school. And then overall, I've moved 20 times in my life. The first 25 years of my life was all in Iowa. So we didn't move far. I mean, uh, okay. you know, like sometimes three or four hours, five hours away from where we lived previously. Yeah. But when somebody says, you know, oh, you're from Iowa, you know, do you know this town? And Pretty much I do. Unless it's in the extreme northeast corner of Iowa, I'll know any town that you mention in Iowa. All right. Well, and, I'll, throw, I'll throw one at you. Do yeah, you know yeah. Clinton, Iowa? Of course I know Clinton, Iowa. Yes, absolutely. That's where, that's where my dad is from. So I spent <laughs> a lot of time in that town and it yeah. reeks. It's a really gross smelling town. <laughs> well, that, that could be metaphorical or literal. Yeah, sure. Okay. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just going to say, so the first 25 years... Mm -hmm. 
was all pretty homogenous. You know, it's it's not sort of the experience of uh, of what I assume, and I uh, I don't want to you know tell your story, but I assume yeah, like sure. when you're a military uh, family, you move great distances, great you know country to country or side of the country to side of the country. Right. So my experience is much more homogenous than that in yeah. the kind of initial moves of my life. But it's not like you moved to uh, a house two doors down. You still physically went to a different place, right? So, right, right. I mean, that's interesting to me because you're making small moves, but you're still leaving a life that you had established, friends, assuming family. Mm-hmm. So it still probably had to shake up your childhood when it, when that happened. Yeah. It, the interesting thing that I was thinking about, um, you know, in preparation for this is that when we moved in Iowa, mm-hmm. what changed a lot was my distance to and from other family members. Sure. And so I can almost pinpoint a memory mm-hmm. based on like, oh, okay, let's see, that happened at my grandparents. And so that's, oh, I remember that was in the summer of, hmm, well, let's see, we had to have lived close enough to them where I went there just for the weekend rather than going there for the whole summer. So that would have been when we lived in Danville, okay. as opposed to when we lived in Newell, which was much farther away. And so we could have greater access to family the closer we lived to them. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny. My sister, I have three siblings, all much older than me. My sister is 18 years older than me. Oh, wow. So three months after I was born, she went to college. And she got married and uh, they lived in a town that was nearby to a town that we were about to move to. And as we moved to that town, literally a month earlier, they moved away to a different town. Mm -hmm. And then our next move was closer to the town where they lived in next. And lo and behold, not long after we moved there, they moved away to another town. So it, it wasn't intentional. Uh, yeah, but sure, it sure. It was. We were like leapfrogging yeah. each other across the state of Iowa, and it was because we were both we were both pastors' families. So my dad was a Methodist minister, and my sister's husband was a Lutheran pastor. Okay. And as as pastors move around, and as the Methodist Church and I believe the Lutheran Church um, keeps them all within a region, and for the Methodist Church, it was a state. Mm-hmm. We just never moved or had the opportunity to move out of the state because of my dad's uh, profession. Okay, that's a that's a really a first. I mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever met anyone in a religious family like that. You know, as a, a trade. Mm. How many times before you graduated high school? Before before I graduated high school, four. Although technically, we moved the fifth time the summer right before I went to college. So, uh, how old were you with the first move? I was three when I moved the first time. Do you remember much about it? I don't. I uh, I recently, last June, my wife and I took, my wife is very patient, and she took a trip with me yeah. around to most of the cities that I had lived in in Iowa as part of a trip to go see my mom. Mm-hmm. Little trips. Oh, nice. So like every day we would go out to one or two of the towns where I had grown up in and take photos and things like that. And also it was fun for my mom too. She didn't go with us, but we would bring home at night and show her the photos and we would call her sometimes from the town. And (laughs) and one of them was the town that I was born in, Mm -hmm. which was uh, Brandon, Iowa. And I didn't remember a thing. Like I thought maybe something would come back, something would trigger a memory. Yeah. But I did remember when we drove through the town where I lived at when I was five, I did remember that town. I remembered it slightly different, right? I remembered the house being bigger, of course, because I was smaller. I remember the distance between things being different. And in fact, as we were driving into the town, my dad had two churches, one in the town and one in the country. And as we were driving into the town, we hadn't called my mom yet. And we drove by a church and I said, that's it. That's my dad's church. Oh, nice. I recognize that place. I hadn't been to that place in 35 years. Uh, Oh, wow. So it was kind of fun to revisit those places in that way. That's really cool. You were sort of almost thinking ahead of this, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk about memory later, but so it sounds like you basically lived as an only child, right? Is that kind of your existence? Yeah, for the most part. My three siblings when I was born were 18, 17, and 14. Uh-huh. And so my I'm closer, I think, in in like a sibling 
uh, sort of relationship to my brother that was, you know, the younger of the three older siblings. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would say for the most part, it was sort of an only child existence with a little bit of of a caveat. Hmm. The fact that I do have siblings and I don't want to demean their existence or their meaningfulness in my life. Um, by saying that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I just asked because I have a younger sister. She's what, 18 months younger than me. Mm-hmm. And often we would move to places that didn't have people our own age. And so we mm-hmm. clung to each other in those a lot of those times, you know, mm-hmm. up until high school. And then we hated each other for a while, you know, as you do. <laughs> but I am curious. I mean, you said you sort of moved away from your immediate family. Did the the church play that role for you and your family whenever you did travel? Yeah, I mean, very much so. I remember thinking at a young age or remarking at a young age how I was able to, or how I perceived I was able to make friends more quickly with members of the church and with older generations than I was my own age group. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was a wonderful skill to have. I think that was a wonderful, I don't want to put this sort of in a, in a negative context, but I think it was also a little bit difficult for me then when I was put in situations like college mm. where you're primarily put in, you know, to social groups with people who are in your age group. Sure. And so that made that somewhat difficult. <laughs> Gosh, I can't believe I'm making this public, but I'm, I'm going to make this public. Mm. I'm, I sort of have garnered this nickname amongst a couple of close friends where they'll call me old man also um, because I sort of have this ability to uh, be perceived as, as older than I am, partially because I'm bald, uh, partially because I sometimes am not up to speed on the latest you know, zeitgeist of terms and that kind of thing. Um, but also because I have to make the screen on my computer really bright to see something <laughs> and I'm half deaf in one ear. So I kind of have to ask people to repeat things a lot. Yeah. Anyway, all of that to say, like, I think that sort of fed into, you know, my the people that I looked up to growing up were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, or at least in their 40s, parents, mm-hmm. even growing up in the church. You know, the, a lot of people that I sort of resonated with, mm-hmm. okay, like I could become friends with that person and what a skill to have. My parents are, are much older. Oh, wow. When I was born, my mom was 40 and my dad was, I believe was 46 or uh, 45. Mm-hmm. And he since has passed away. He died in, in 1999. But I, you know, I saw how they acted in their 50s when I was 10 years old and in their 60s when I was 20 years old. Hmm. It's not uncommon for me to use some sort of idiom or phrase or something that an older person would use just because that's who I've been around my whole life, including my siblings being older, including my parents being older, including my friend groups in the church being older people. It sounds like you were well prepared for all of that. And maybe uh, maybe you were that old soul and you just kind of grew into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I hope so. I hope to still grow into it. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> How long did you guys live in that first place? So in Brandon, we lived there for three years and I moved to Nichols, which was the, the place that I described where I remember the church from. But we only lived there for two years before we moved in 1985 to Newell. My first memory was when I was five. It was actually my birthday. My birthday is is towards the end of spring, early summer. And so there'll be kind of a recurring theme or has been a recurring theme in my life where my birthday is one of the last things I remember before we move. In fact, to some degree, I equate my birthday party before our move on June 1st or July 1st, depending on where we were. I sort of feels like that was the last goodbye in many ways and and in some ways that's kind of sad and in some ways that kind of ties my birthday to something but my last my my birthday before we le- left Nichols um, was the first time I ever rode a horse mm-hmm. that's my first memory ever is literally a month or a little bit less before we moved to this new town mm. so you did have the experience of being the new kid yeah. in that school mm-hmm. what do you remember what that was like for you <laughs> Wow, this is like a psychotherapy uh, kind of session here. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I hope I remember this right. You know, memory does weird things, right? Exactly, exactly. But I I remember, I think my mom is going to hear this and correct me with the actual story. Right on, that's what they do. I remember walking to or being dropped off at school on the first day of, of kindergarten 
And I remember having to go home. I can't remember if I got sick. I can't remember if I didn't like it. I can't remember what it was. But I remember going home early and then coming in the next day and not knowing some things, right? Like mm-hmm. like everyone, uh, this is an example, but like everyone learned on the first day where the scissors and the glue were kept. And I show up the second day and they're like, all right, now everybody go get your scissors and glue. And I had no idea. Oh, you were lost. I, I was so lost. Mm-hmm. I remember that feeling because it happened again a couple times in that place in, in Newell. Oh. And so I like, even though I was in a town where I was going to school for the very first time, along with kids who were going to school for the very first time, uh-huh. I already sort of felt this not being a part of or being behind or not knowing what was going on, oh, I see. Um, not having the context that the other kids did. Whether that's true or not, whether I made that up or not, I don't know. But that initially, even in that first place, I think was true for me. Well, I won't be doing any sort of fact checking. I'll leave that to your family. But <laughs> uh, so that was your sort of initial remem- uh, memory of it. You know, how quickly do you remember that turning around for you? I remember it turning around quite quickly, actually. Mm -hmm. We lived there from 85 to 90, so five years. And I remember developing deep bonds with people in the church, with students, uh, with classmates, with even like school pride, you know, right? Like we were the Newell Fonda Panthers. I remember thinking, this is where I'm going to be. I remember walking by the lockers and thinking, yeah, this is where I'm going to be someday. And so I really started sort of bonding to that space, not just in the school, but in the town. Sure. I also was like a place where I start, first started getting into various clubs and organizations, right? Mm. And then it was also the first place where I remember sort of recognizing tragedy and loss. Mm-hmm. My dad's mother came to live in the nursing home near there and then uh, eventually passed away living there. Yeah. And I remember like family members coming to visit us there and it being a big deal because we were really far away. During the, the funeral, I got to meet some of my dad's family huh. uh, who hadn't seen for a long time before then and maybe some haven't seen since then. And so it was really the first time I kind of recognized that loss and that really grounded me to that place mm-hmm. and grounded me to those memories in a way that I thought was just going to be how it was forever. You know, I remember feeling that. And I think that's what made leaving that place hurt more in some ways than any other place I've left. Because you really had projected yourself there. Were you going to public school or was this a school affiliated with a church? Oh, no, it was public school. Okay. So you had your school friendship group and I'm Mm -hmm. guessing the church was a whole other, you know, fellowship and... Mm -hmm. Not everyone gets that experience. I think that's that's pretty amazing, and it probably set you up for some really great relationships. Yeah, I I I believe that to be true. Here's why I balk and hesitate at that: mm-hmm. is that I now know, looking back, that hardly any, if any, of those relationships have carried through into today beyond a you know recent Facebook lookup, friending, and like, hey, how are you? And from that, from that particular town, right? Yeah. But beyond that, I now know that that, that didn't hold for me. Mm-hmm. It was also kind of tragic, right? Yeah. Because I learned about people who had passed on that I knew or had moved away mm-hmm. or had become slightly different people. And that was kind of interesting to catch up in that way, in a way that you don't really get unless you Facebook stalk someone. You kind of get to live a, a little bit of a dual life there. I mean, I think of, mm-hmm. you know, we we left a place, we never went back, right? And then I remember as a kid always envying the people that grew up with the same people all their lives, right? Or mm-hmm. whether it was their cousins or their, you know, their friends and they're mm-hmm. rarely, you know, we, we moved almost on average of every three years. So, Yep. But it, it's interesting because you can have both of those in the way that you were raised. I think that's pretty cool, you know, but that does sound like the next move was that much harder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it really was. I remember. So I don't know if this is everybody's experience, but I remember in the church, mm-hmm. my dad either got a couple choices like they would. You, OK, we're going to move you, but we're going to move you here or there. Or we got to go check out the first place and then we kind of got to yay or nay it. 
And I remember taking a late night drive with my mom and dad and going to a town where they were uh, proposing to move us to and them just saying, no, we're not moving here and we're not moving here because of Jonathan and his age and and the school system and all of that. Mm. And I remember kind of driving home and feeling a sort of weight of that, of like, oh gosh, they're making this decision because of me. But I also remember feeling like, well, maybe that means we won't move. Yeah, That wasn't a choice. They were going to move us. And I didn't know that. I didn't know all the ins and outs. But I thought, yeah, yeah. oh gosh, they're really, they really want to take care of me in a way where they're not going to move us. And my mom had probably explained to me or my dad maybe that that was not the case. But in my, in my gut, I kind of felt like, oh no, I'm going to get to stay. I'm going to get to stay. Uh-huh. And that even felt further built up that when we were going to move, how heartbreaking and, and difficult it was. Mm-hmm. So what was that, that next move to? That next move, we moved from Newell to Danville, and it was literally one corner of the state to the other. It was from northwest Iowa to southeast Iowa. Okay. Say that Iowa has this many, you know, has tons of, of different topographical regions, but it was a topographical change, you know, western Iowa, eastern Iowa. Sure. And it was nearer my grandparents, which was interesting, and it was a different sort of town in that it was nearer to a major city. Hmm. I loved that part of it. I love mm-hmm. like the adventure of it sort of immediately, but I hated the like, okay, I need to be put in a situation now where I'm going to make new friends. And at church that came easier, right? Sure. Because when you're, you know, five years old, uh, not five, when you're 10 years old yeah. and you're introduced with your parents and you have to go to everything with your parents, the welcome dinner and the first service and, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you, people know who you are. And so that's easier. It was then like, okay, I need to now start remembering who these people are. Well, I miss all those other people that I already know their names. Why can't I just be with them? Mm -hmm. Or even school, right? Like getting dropped off and everyone knows where the fifth grade classroom is, which is what I was heading into. And I had no idea. And everyone knew everything about that elementary school. And so when it was like, okay, it's time to go to the library. Everybody knew where the elementary school library is. Okay, it's time to go to lunch. Everyone knew how to get from there to lunch. But I didn't. Oh, yeah. yeah, And I I remember, you know, like the teacher leads you, right? But also you have the engine and the caboose. Yeah. And I may have mentioned my last name is A, which starts or is also which starts with A. And so you're always the engine. Oh, yeah. And I remember just being petrified being like all right you're going to music of course you know uh okay engine is is start it will do alphabetical this time and being like i have no idea how to get to music absolutely not the slightest (laughs) and so that was a hard sort of thing but i also remember and i don't mean to gloat on this but i remember quickly rising to the top of the kids who were getting the higher grades in school sure but sort of finding that group of people, I distinctly remember making a choice about, is this the group of people I want to be associated with? Hmm. And I remember Wait, the that smart kids. experience. Yeah, the smart kids, right? Uh-huh. I remember this because I had an experience in fourth grade in my school before where I got called out. Fourth grade is where I got glasses, first of all, because I couldn't see from the back of the room. Yeah. Of course, you know, all the you know associations that go with that. But I remember in science class, my teacher stopping the whole class and berating us about how bad we were doing in science and about how poorly we had just done on a quiz and about how no one was taking notes except for Jonathan. Look at him. He's taking notes and he's being the model student. Like I remember that specifically. And I remember in fifth grade, now changing schools, that I had a choice about having an ability to sort of redefine myself. Mm. And did I want to still be in that group of the smart kids where you could get called out in such a way that I, in fourth grade, did not find appealing? And in fifth grade, I did. And I wanted to be one of the smart kids. That I got to make the choice again of which groups of people I was associated with. And that is sort of interesting to me. And began to define how then three years later, I would associate myself. And quite frankly, my career trajectory was in some ways defined by that. Interesting. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I have never really thought about it that way, but I I know I did it. Mm -hmm. You did have that. 
I'm going to be X person at this next school, you know, mm-hmm. and very, you know, no internet then. So very little proof that you even existed somewhere else. Right. So, right. yeah, I, I don't think I really took advantage of that myself till high school, but the idea that you get to select your friend group as the new <laughs> right. kid is kind of right. fun. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty great actually. I, you know, and I think a lot of people have to wait till college to like try out their mm-hmm. next personality or their identity or whatever. It, yeah. it sounds like you got a head start on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that could be a universal thing with people that move, you know, might be. And, and honestly, that's not something uh, that realization happened in the last five minutes. Yeah. I don't know that I'd ever thought of that until I started talking. Yeah. And, and it's probably not even perceivable when you're a kid, but mm-hmm. that's the hindsight idea, right? Yeah. So you pretty much finished high school in this move or no, no? no. Oh, still more. Okay. Just, yeah. I'm not going to do every one. I'm just, I'm just, uh, okay. So how, <laughs> yeah, how long were you there? fifth grade mm-hmm. and sixth grade mm-hmm. and seventh grade. Okay. So spanning now from again, a year of elementary school. Yeah. And then in this school, sixth, seventh, and eighth was junior high. Sure, sure. So sixth grade and seventh grade in this particular school. Before we moved again for eighth grade, which was still junior high in my next school. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting because I never finished elementary school, finished it in the next school. I never finished junior high in the same school, Uh but high school was all in one school. So yeah, we moved from Danville to Coyne in 1993 between my seventh and eighth grade years. And what was particularly difficult about this move or, or particularly memorable. I don't know that it was difficult. Hmm. Memorable or shaping sure. was that I had I had started playing some sports in elementary school, but I was not good at it at all. Like a little bit of t-ball, a little bit of basketball. I you know was not good at all. Mm-hmm. But in Danville, I played. I think this, I think this is true. I think I only only played baseball there. And of course, when we moved, we moved in the summer in the middle of baseball season or maybe towards the very end because I think we moved July 1st and I think you know with elementary and junior high they try to get that out of the way early in the summer so people can take vacations before they go back to school of course but I played sports and I remember playing a baseball game yeah the night before we moved oh, wow. and so I can't remember if it was near the end of the season or not but I remember I played a baseball game mm-hmm. and then I went over to the uh the softball field uh-huh. and watched the girls from my class play their softball game and then I got on my bike and I rode away crying bawling my head off bike all the way home and the next day the van moving van came and all of our stuff got loaded up and we moved away and that's the first time I remember having an emotional major emotional reaction to moving you know when you're when you're you know 10, you know, I, I was sad, yeah. but I remember just uh, thinking that my life was over. Yeah. I had just started to build something up and we'd only been there for three years. And this was the town where I started to see my potential to be uh, a person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know what that was yet. I didn't know it wasn't theater yet, but like uh, the people that I looked up to were not just people who were you know, 70 or 60 or 50. <laughs> sure. But I remember looking up to people who were just a few years older than me and being like, oh, I want to be in a musical in high school. Uh, I remember being, I want to be in the high school band. <laughs> I want to be in uh, the high school choir. Yeah. I remember like how I took from Newell projecting myself into that. Mm-hmm. Like now it wasn't just like, oh yeah, that will be me someday. It was like, no, I want to be here doing those things someday and it felt like those were taken away from me by needing to move Mm. that was i think what i cried about on that summer night biking home on my Uh three-speed you know schwinn sure (laughs) i remember just sort of feeling like okay this is this is the heartbreaking well i guess i mean you were of an age by that point i mean did you know it was coming yeah did you know that that was the life yeah Mm -hmm. my mom and dad were really good about talking about things like that with me and giving me a heads up Mm -hmm. and also like I mean, you know this. Other people who haven't moved that many times may not know this, but like packing is a big deal. It's not a one-week thing or a two-week thing. Uh, And my parents really taught me how to pack well, and they did it really well. It it was a six-week 
five week kind of thing sure. where you're, you know, getting all the supplies and you're putting the the valuable mirrors and wall hangings in bubble wrap and wrapping those up. And, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know how you did it in your house, but it was always we would pick a room that was near the front door or back door, wherever they're going to load out. And it was usually the room where there was a couch. Mm -hmm. And we would start by pulling the couch away from the wall, the distance of one box. And you would make <laughs> a row of boxes behind the couch as tall as you could. Wow. And then uh, you'd pull the couch away a little bit further and a second row of boxes behind the couch. And then a third. And, and by the time you got to three rows of boxes, floor to ceiling behind the couch, yeah. you pretty much had everything packed that wasn't a piece of furniture or wasn't something that was like, you know, you still can't pack all your clothes. You still can't pack, you know, the potted plants. Yeah. You know, so unless it was one of those things, it was in a box. And I remember there was a stage in moving yeah. where the lamps, right, like table lamps, desk lamps, that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. would get packed. And my mom has taught me this, and I still do it. Yep. I, we do not use overhead lights, right? They're garish. They're terrible light. And you're a lighting person. They look gross. Amen. They often don't even have rheostat dimmers. You can't even change the color temperature. Yep. Well, I remember distinctly the point in every move where the lamps would be packed, and we would have to use the overhead lamps. And you knew you were close. <laughs> oh, it, so that was the yeah. measure. Okay. Huh. Well, it sounds like you got good lessons in logistics <laughs> oh, at yeah. an early age, too. That that definitely had to help in your career. Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. In my career yeah. and in future moves. My wife has uh, commented several times uh, about, you know, like, wow, you really know how to move. And like, well, yeah, yeah. If you don't label something and people come to help you unpack or you have movers, how are they going to know where to put it? Sure. Your pots and pans are going to end up in your basement and the things that you need to open first are going to end up buried. And yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I mean, in the military, you don't get a whole lot of heads up. I mean, it really depends, right? I mean, right. my parents always were trying to be mindful, you know, to move us during the summer, but sometimes it would be mm -hmm. Christmas day. We'd be starting school again. We're like, we're moving, you know, we'd move middle of the year. Wow. So sometimes it was a hasty packing job. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got to know how to do that quick, but yeah, definitely labeling things mm -hmm. oftentimes the military will give you movers and that's a curse and a blessing mm -hmm. you get assigned these movers and they did not care they would pack your trash they would pack mm -hmm. you know random stuff throw it in boxes stuff would end up broken i mean it was a nightmare so wow. i think my parents got to the point where they wouldn't let you know our assigned movers in the house mm -hmm. yeah it definitely was a, a a thing but i also remember the unpacking was the best part about moving Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'd move and then we'd have to get a house built. Mm -hmm. so we'd have to wait for military housing to open up. So we'd be in a temporary housing and it could be months before we saw our stuff again. So, or we went overseas and they quarantined it and all that, you know? Mm. So when you start opening boxes again, it's like this whole new experience. And now, mm. now you can make YouTube videos out of it and be a millionaire. So <laughs> I, I do not have that experience, but I resonate with that feeling simply because my mom would she beautiful decorator she would love to decorate our houses mm. and she would you know look at the the newest you know uh, decorating magazines and decorate that way mm -hmm. and so each place was a new way of crafting the things we had because we were not rich by any means she didn't go out and buy new decorations huh. but taking the things that we had and repurposing them or repainting them or literally turning them upside down to create this new look. Mm -hmm. So she was really good at repurposing those things. And she was also good about when we were packing, weeding out the things we couldn't take, right? Whether it was the size of the place we were going or whether it was the, you know, the amount of room we were allowed. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, we could afford a 45 foot truck or a 53 foot truck. And so she would pare down to what we could get in there. <laughs> and that kind of instilled in me mm -hmm. um, where I will take my winter clothes and at the end of winter, put them away and get out my summer clothes. It's, it's an efficiency thing of like not seeing so many things in the closet or whatever, yeah. but it's also just like this unpacking yeah. thing that I have innate in me. And every three to five years you unpack something. Well, if I can spread that out and do it every <laughs> six months, then my partner won't be so annoyed with me every three to five years being like, should we move? I feel like we should move. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 
And also, like, it was work. I, like, I remember as a kid, you know, we would be like, all right, we're going to pack some boxes. And I'd be like, I just want to watch television. Yeah. But they taught me, you know, and like you squeeze the box so that the things are level so that the corners don't crush. And you tape it this way and that way, particularly if it has these things mm-hmm. in it. And the label goes in the upper right hand corner of the top and the side that is the longest because of how they'll pack it. And, oh, yeah. You know, like all those things were really helpful to me as I moved. And yet at the time we're like curses, you know, like really this, we're going to have to retape this box and spend more time not watching television. I'm 12, you know? (laughs) Wow. Sounds like quite a fun family, especially around moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Right on. Oh man. That's good stuff. Well, I do remember the best, uh, the other best part about moving into places was like box forts and stuff, you know? Yeah. With refrigerator boxes or even those wardrobe boxes. And you could have like, yourself a 400 square feet uh, yeah. two and a half bath uh box uh apartment by the time you were done it was all about how long they would tolerate the boxes in the house you know so, mm-hmm. so you ended up in this last move for high school for the whole what was it four years five years okay yeah well it was five years yeah, it was eighth grade and high school yeah yeah. What was that move like? That was the heartbreaking move, you know, the sort of like, oh, you're taking me away from everything. Mm-hmm. And we moved to, and certainly no offense to anyone in this town or or anyone in this area, but we moved to the smallest town we'd ever lived in. Mm. And it was really difficult for me. Yeah. There was a couple of people my age, but I had to do things there that I'd never done before. I had to ride the bus to school because it was in a different town. And I'd never done that. I was in eighth grade. And mm-hmm. it was also like the smallest church my dad had ever been a pastor of in some ways. And yet things also felt normal in the way that the house was across the street. And that had never happened. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just walk over and see my dad. And I could in this town. Okay. I had had little side jobs helping my dad. Sometimes he would take a side job because being a pastor is not a lucrative business, despite what everyone thinks, Uh, you know, you do work more than one day a week. mm -hmm. And uh, he would sometimes be the janitor at the churches where he was working. Okay. And so he would hire me as a kid to come in, you know, for, I can't remember, five bucks an hour or something to help him and kind of learn how to be a good worker. And he taught me many things. Yeah. But I remember at the church where we moved to him being like, well, do you want to, you know, be a a person who comes in and helps clean the church with me. And and it was nice that it was across the street. Pretty soon I was shoveling the walk of the church for money and mowing the grass. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of coming into my own as being an autonomous person where I could go for walks and bike rides by myself at whim. Being a very, very small town was really nice. It also was a town where some scary things, you know, happened um, because it was a rural kind of area, didn't have its police force or whatever. There was a lot of house fires in that town, in houses near us. Mm. And so that was a little bit kind of scary and unnerving because in other towns we lived in, they had a volunteer fire department right there and they had a police force right there. I mean, it was, you know, and that was not present in this town. And so even though I've had this homogenous sort of feeling of safety up to this point, in that town, there was this sort of feeling of like, I'm not surrounded by who I had up to that point in my life considered safety personnel. Sure. And that was eye-opening in sort of a way and gave me some context, although be it very small context, for how I would begin to perceive police and fire persons and other safety personnel when I lived in Colorado in a small town, when I lived in larger cities that did have a force, yeah. but I didn't know their names. Literally growing up in a town you know, of several thousand, I knew all the policemen's names because they had coffee with my dad down at the coffee shop and because they came to our school and were the ones who gave the you know, the dare lecture. And, you know, mm-hmm. and growing up in this small town, I didn't know anyone because the, the local law enforcement was the sheriff. And the sheriff had five deputies and you never knew who was going to show up in town uh, or even if they would. Yeah. It was also the town where I, you know, I learned to drive in that town. And again, because it's out in rural Iowa, my dad taught me how to drive, you know, with a learner's permit before I had driver's ed at school. And, you know, my dad was so meticulous around many things. I'm, I'm sure that's where I get my meticulousness from. But like, you know, we had to drive down this. A road to the next neighbor town at, 
like 25 miles an hour or something like 20 times before he would let me go 40 miles an hour down that road and taught me how to drive on gravel roads because they were literally right there. And before we would ever hit a highway, let alone an interstate, that gave me a context for driving where deer are, you're going to see more deer than you do cars going from one town to another, Um, where you are in the spotlight because the town is only 200 or 300 people, if that. And so everyone knew everybody's business. And while I thought that had been true in these other towns, there were literally people in other towns who didn't know who I was and didn't care. Mm -hmm. In this town, everybody knew who I was and everybody cared. That was a different perspective. Oh, sure. But it was also the time where I was going into my teenage years and sort of had this don't care attitude and this defiance attitude. And, you know, everybody has in their mind sort of this, oh, the preacher's kid is either a a do good or a 'er (laughs) ne'er-do-well. It was sort of this dichotomy of everyone knows your business. Sure. I mean, here's an embarrassing story that I can't believe I'm putting out there. But literally my junior year prom. Mm -hmm. So the school I went to was in a town about 20 minutes away. And the nearest major city was about 20 minutes away in the other direction. And so Mm -hmm. I got, you know, uh, dressed up at my house. I did not have a date that year that I remember. Oh gosh, I hope I didn't have a date. Anyway, drove to prom into the city where my school, the town where my school was again, a very small town. Mm -hmm. And then we were all going to get on a school bus at the end to go to the after prom party in the major city, major city being just a town that's bigger. And I had forgotten my, uh, my shoes. I had remembered, you know, cause we were all going to change at a friend's house nearby and I went and changed and I just had my tuck shoes and I was going to be so embarrassed. And I wanted to ride the, the first bus. There were two buses. I wanted to ride the first bus leaving with uh, a girl that I liked. Mm-hmm. So I sped home, got my shoes, and then uh, sped out of town and back to the school. And um, when I say sped, I mean like they should have you know, destroyed my license and never let me drive again sort of speed, especially <laughs> on a country, on a county road. Yeah. And the sheriff had happened to be in town that night mm-hmm. and uh, followed me for a while. Uh, he was struggling to keep up on the speed I was going. Mm. And when I took these turns that were leading into the town where the school was um, is where I slowed down and oh, he shot sure. up and uh, pulled me over and uh, literally mm-hmm. came to my window and said, you know, a few expletives I won't put on your podcast, but you know, like what, why were you trying to go so fast? And at just that moment, the first school bus had left the school and pulled up next to the stop sign, just yards from where I was pulled over. Mm -hmm. And I said, trying to catch that bus. And not only did every person on the school bus that, uh, that night see that it was me that was pulled over because we all knew each other's cars. Mm -hmm. Plus at that point, I think I had a 78 Dodge diplomat boat. So who couldn't have spotted that a mile away? But also it went out on the police scanner and one of the parishioners of my dad's church heard it, uh-huh. calls my dad at 1230 in the morning to let them know that my I had getting pulled over for going uh-huh. X number of miles an hour. I believe I got pulled over for going 85 or 90 in a 45. <laughs> and so I went to the, I got on the second bus. Oh, Long story short, I didn't even get a warning that night because the county is so small that as he's running my license, he gets a call for a major fatality crash uh, on the other side of the county, and he's the only one on. And so he has to let me go so he can go tend to this. And I never got a warning, and I don't know how uh, that was even possible. And so I, I make it to the wow. second bus. I go to the after prom party. Everybody's like, ooh, did you get pulled over? Like, uh-huh, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. But also like some kids who up to that point were like, we don't like this guy. He's too snooty. He's a preacher's kid. Um, was like, you got pulled over for going how fast? You're cool. <laughs> you got street cred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little. Um, yeah. And uh, got home the next morning, uh-huh. uh, you know, in the early morning hours yeah. and walked in and my dad's sitting on the couch with the light on. Uh-huh. Said, oh, no. you know, I uh, I hear you got pulled over last night. Oh, you, you did? You uh-huh. know, like, uh, you know, trying uh-huh. to play it off easy and cool and uh-huh. really got the talking to of my life and rightfully so and found out it was one of the, the, the parishioners that had heard yeah. it on the scanner and uh-huh. called him. Yeah. And like, that's the epitome of living in a small town and being a preacher's kid and living in rural Iowa is, you know, getting let off by the county sheriff. Um, because he's the only one on duty that night and getting a big talking to for 
you know, I think I, I don't think oh, I was allowed okay. to drive for a couple months. Because oh, you got your you got your comeuppance then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I did because of this nosy parishioner on the police scanner. <laughs> <laughs> I would have told him anyway. I'm just too honest of a person. But to find out, you know, for him to find out about it. That way. Yeah. Weird to think that in Iowa alone, you would have this many kind of experiences, you know, you never had to leave the state and you got sort of the big city kid and the the, the small town version. Uh, yeah. 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 And, and while, you know, I started this you know, being like it was a very homogenous sort of experience. In some ways, it wasn't if you look at, you know, for scale, Iowa by itself. You know, I, I did have the experience mm-hmm. of Iowa, but I didn't have the experience of of Texas mm. or Colorado or California or New York yeah. or uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And that drew me to wanting to explore, experience those places. And so in high school, when we took a class trip to Chicago, mm-hmm. when we took a family vacation to DC, I was enamored when I would read about or hear about Colorado. I was, you know, like, I was like, I want to get out of this place and I want to go see these and be up, experience these other places which I got to do, I think, because of my own drive and desire to want to do that. And that was part one of my interview with Jonathan. I I really do hope you enjoyed listening to us talk. I really found him fascinating and we had some good laughs that really come up in the, the second part of this, which I also hope you listen to. Thank you for listening in general. I, I really appreciate those of you who have uh, listened so far. Podcasts can now be found in most of your favorite streaming platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, please uh, rate and review it if you can on Apple. I could really appreciate use the feedback just to see how I'm doing here. Like theater, word of mouth is the best sort of advertisement. So if you know someone that might be interested in this podcast, please spread the word. All right, check out part two of this interview. See you next time. Thanks. This is a production of The Full Medium.